Welcome to Grow Up, insights on how businesses can use technology to grow better. Please welcome your hosts, Jason Parkinson and Mark Hammer. Welcome to Grow Up. It's a podcast all about using technology to grow better. As always, I'm Jason Parkinson, and the stunning Mark Hammer is here with me today as well. Ah, you are too kind. Welcome, everybody, (laughs) to the show. And uh, today we're going to be talking about sales enablement. This is such a buzzword right now, and um, I don't know that everybody knows what sales enablement means, but if you're working in marketing and sales, you need to have a grasp on kind of what this is and why it why it's important. So what is sales enablement, Mark? Well, I helpfully looked up a definition. Great. So the research company IDC says that sales enablement is the people, processes, and technology used to ensure the delivery of the right information to the right person at the right time in the right format and in the right place <laughs> oh my gosh. to assist in moving a specific sales opportunity forward. The goal is moving sales opportunities forward quicker if you have a good sales enablement process. That's a good way of summarizing yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all of that stuff. It's, it's the right time, the right format, the right place, the people, the process, all of that. But, you need a lot of right things. But it's, it's the goal is close more deals quicker, right? And I think everybody Absolutely. wants that for their business. They should. Um, and you have to have a process in place to do that. And I think that, you know, we'd be insulting you if, if you know, we would think that you don't know that you should have a process for your sales team to follow. Or if you're a one-person sales team, you should have a documented process that you kind of follow each time and refine it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to look at sales enablement from a technology standpoint and um, talk about some tools and some ways that you can use technology in your in your specific sales processes. Right. Before we do that, I want to take a minute and uh, actually bring in Christy Sparling. She's going to talk a little bit about cloud-based CRMs and specifically how they have really changed an industry. So let's take a look back at another example of technology shaking up an industry with Christy. Thanks, Jason. Today, we're looking at cloud-based CRMs. Customer relationship management systems, commonly known as CRMs, traditionally ran from software with on-site data centers. When Salesforce burst onto the scene in 1999, it brought the concept of cloud-based sales platforms to the mainstream. Now CRMs are scalable, collaborative, and capable of so much more than their software predecessors. CRMs now live in the cloud, leaving alternative options stuck in the mud. That's just another example of how technology has changed an industry. Pardon the disruption, Jason. Hey, thanks, Christy. I, uh, I appreciate the insight on that. That's a pretty good summary. Yeah, absolutely. Cloud-based CRMs. And I guess we can kind of start there when we're talking about sales enablement. We should. Um, you start looking at CRMs. And when I say CRM, I'm talking about customer relationship management, usually in the form of some type of a software um, is kind of how that's referred to. And at One Fire, we use HubSpot. We've been a HubSpot customer for a long time. And they have a really great CRM tool that's practically free. Um, so we started you know, using that tool. And if you look at, you know, Christy mentioned Salesforce, if you compare it to you know, some of these other tools, some tools are really expensive and they're really complex to get up and running in your organization. But, you know, something like HubSpot is it's much simpler. And uh, we help companies all the time get that up and running in just a matter of, you know, 30 to 60 days instead of it taking, right, a you couple know, of months. six months or plus. Um, so just, you know, something to keep in mind. But one of the things that um, a lot of great CRMs do is something called lead scoring. And, you know, when you start looking at lead scoring, there's a couple different types of lead scoring that can happen. You can do it manually. And when I, I guess I'll back up and define what lead scoring is. When I say lead scoring, I'm talking about you have this 
um, you know, list of leads. Maybe you bought the list from a company. Maybe they're leads that have come in from your website. Um, maybe they're business cards you collected at a trade show. Sure. But you have this list of leads and it's important to score them and prioritize them to say who is more likely to become a customer right. over somebody else so that you have the opportunity to, you know, to focus more of your time and effort on them. Right. You don't want to go after the leads that are unlikely to yield some type of sale. Yeah. And so when you start looking at that whole process and enabling the sales to move a little bit quicker, you can do some manual lead scoring, which is basically kind of your gut saying, hey, I think that this person, you know, on a scale of one to 10, this person's a 10. They're ready to close tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And this person's maybe a two or however you set that structure up in your own organization. There's no like hard and fast rule of how to do this. You can really build it for your own business and implement it that way. But then so you've got manual lead scoring. Then you've got something called predictive lead scoring. And with predictive lead scoring, you're doing a little bit more um, of using some software to do that that lead scoring. Instead of it just being kind of a gut feeling, um, you're really looking a little bit more at what actions have these people taken, maybe on my website or with my business or things like that, where you can say, okay, you know, this person, person A has looked at five different blog posts on my website and they viewed, um, you know, the page that's all about the services that we offer. So we're going to automatically assign them maybe a, a six on the predictive lead scoring uh, scale. And this person over here looked at five blog posts and they went to our pricing page they're maybe going to be more of a seven or eight That's on a pretty our strong signal on our predictive lead scoring scale. And this person looked at our pricing page, looked at blog posts and reached out to contact us twice. They're like a 10, like they're ready to close. Now we need <laughs> to spend a lot of attention getting them to close. Mm -hmm. So the predictive thing is kind of where that, you know, where that kind of applies. And then there's really a level kind of, it's still kind of predictive, but it's using artificial intelligence to do the prediction instead of you saying if a person views our pricing page give them a higher score or if they don't view our pricing page give them a lower score um, the artificial intelligence black box does it for you they look across all of your customers they look at who has become a customer versus who decided not to become a customer in your list of leads and contacts and it looks at all of the actions that they've taken kind of together, and then it builds the prediction model for you automatically. And what's funny is the gut feeling, it has some validity. If you don't have software today and you're doing manual lead scoring, it's still valid to yeah, have it is. a gut feeling, but it's not as accurate as a predictive lead score, and a predictive lead score is not as accurate as one that's leveraged some type of artificial intelligence to do it for you. Right. So it's kind of neat to look at that spectrum of lead scoring. For one, you should be doing it like lead scoring is important, an important action to take. And if you're going to choose a CRM software, which, by the way, if you're still using like Google Docs or Excel sheets or just your email to manage your leads and your customers, like you got to cut that out now. You've got to get into a spot where you're using a CRM. They're not that expensive and it's going to allow you to really track every action that your customer has with your company. It'll make you more effective and it'll also make your life a lot easier. And it'll make if you have a sales team beyond just 
to you, it's going to be so nice to improve the transparency there too. Right. Absolutely. Of being able to see what's John doing, um, you know, with these customers. And if John decides to leave you and go to another company, at least you still have all of that information that John's got tracked to that account. Yeah, somebody can just, step in and start managing yeah. what John left behind. It's not just left in his in his email. So or a notebook or a, or a notebook. Yeah. What have you? So I think that. You know, the lead scoring piece and the CRM piece, incredibly important things to kind of start doing today. And those are actions that you don't need a CRM to do. The lead scoring, you can manually do that process and kind of have a good understanding of a gut feeling of, you know, this person's more likely to close than this person. But when you start putting the analytics and the data behind it, that's where it really gets powerful and can really help exponentially improve your your sales process. Yeah. And that's and it is something that you don't need to have. You don't need a CRM similar to, you know, when I'm shaving, I don't need a razor. I could use a pair of scissors. But <laughs> yeah. if Same I use a razor, I'm going to have a lot better. I'm going to have a much better time. Right. My face is going to end up in much better shape than trying to do it with the scissors. Yeah, well, that's a good, good point. So we talked about lead scoring. Let's talk about your sales team specifically and how you can score them or you can score yourself through sales action scoring. Sure. And uh, so action scoring is more of an accountability thing. Mm-hmm. And it gives you as a salesperson a way to kind of check the boxes, know that you're taking the appropriate number of actions per week to yield the result that you want. So what you do is you assign point values to different actions that you would take as part of the sales process. So that could be three points for a phone call, mm-hmm. five points for a meeting set. Okay, Maybe... Seven points for a full-blown presentation. Maybe one point for an email. Okay. So in a week, you say, okay, I need to accumulate... X number of points. X number of points in my week. And you know, historically, if you Mm -hmm. do that, you can go back and look, okay, how many calls, emails, meetings did it take Mm -hmm. to close this deal? So you have an idea of how many actions it takes. So you use that to arrive at that rough number of points that you want each week. Sure. And then you continually take that many actions each week, making sure that you reach that threshold. And in theory, and most of the time in practice, Mm -hmm. that's what gets those deals closed. So it's kind of of, uh, gamifying the sales process, right? Yeah. We have a a good customer of ours who's done this, now that you're mentioning that. Um, And he he works for an IT company. And he knows that, like, he's got this scale, I think it's 500 points a week is what he's trying Mm -hmm. to hit. And you can set your point values however you want. I would encourage you to kind of make it cohesive across your organization, um, because then you get kind of, you know, some sales folks that are competitive with each other. So that kind of helps um, drive, you know, that that it does. action. But in this scenario, this gentleman that's this with this IT company, he's a one one operation business development guy. So he doesn't have a lot of peers that are doing the same thing as him. And he's put together like this 500 point scale. And he knows that sending an email is worth like 10 points and like an in-person meeting is worth more like 60 points. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to do like if he gets to the end of the week and he's realizing, man, I've only done 350 points, he's going to work really hard to try and do those higher point value items that have a greater chance of paying off so he can get to that 500 point number yeah, uh, that's versus, a great way to versus just sending a bunch of emails. And I've seen a lot of salespeople that they just hide behind their desk and send email. There's a lot of software that can automate that now. 
and there is value in that. But the point system kind of sets up the fact that the value in doing that is less than maybe the value of setting up an in-person meeting and having a face-to-face conversation or picking up the phone or sending a proposal, like sending a proposal, right. a proposal, maybe like 150 points. Um, and so it's not so much about the the quantity of points when you're thinking about implementing a system like this. It's more about the value of each action that you're doing. And if you have a lot of meetings in your day, maybe they're internal meetings with product development folks or they're internal meetings that are you know, not valuable to the sales process, I think you can still give those things a point value. They just need to be a lot less. And then you track everything that you do in right. your week and you accumulate points and then, you know, reward yourself for it. Yeah, it's a great way to motivate yourself. It's a great way to look at your week and understand, okay, what do I need to do yeah. to make sure that these deals close? Yeah. One of the things, and this may sound tedious, and I've seen it done before in in a spreadsheet form, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, I've seen it done before within a CRM. Mm-hmm. Uh, some CRMs actually have sales activity tracking um, for with points built into it. Um, but one of the things that we do... When you know, with HubSpot, we get we get reports all the time of sales activities. So we know how many emails, phone calls and meetings a specific sales rep has had just by running a real quick report that takes all of two seconds to, to click a button and run. Right. And we get all of that reporting right there. And so what's really nice about it is it's very low impact to the manager or to the business owner. And it's low impact to the salesperson because they don't have to, you know, think about reporting and keeping track of that. When you have a good CRM, the software is just doing it for you. Right. So I think that's that's just an important thing to think about. So um, how does content play into this? We've talked a lot about content marketing. Um, There's there is such a thing as content sales. There is. Uh, and actually, I mean, content for sales is another way that you can use the marketing content that you've already created. Good reuse, good return on your investment that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the content that you create now not only pulls traffic into your website and you know serves as that ongoing marketing tool and marketing presence, but it's also a great way to empower your sales team to go out and talk a little bit more knowledgeably about your company, about your products, about your offerings. It gives them something to bring in the door, to email, to really drive the conversation forward. I mean, salespeople are, you know, harangued a lot of the time. They're not going to be able to always be on the top of their game and articulate what they're trying to articulate. So really well done marketing content can do a lot of that for them. Yeah, a couple stats around that, too, that I'll bring up from HubSpot, Mark. So if you look at how marketing content gets used by sales, there's a big opportunity here for sales teams to start using content that's being created for other other reasons in the company. Obviously, sales teams are going to use decision stage content like a brochure or a flyer, um, you know, but very few salespeople. In fact, 90% of marketing content goes unused by sales. That's a stat from HubSpot. And so you're creating all this marketing content. You need to have a plan in place to make it part of your sales process. If you're already investing in things like blogs and eBooks and, and, you know, other downloadable content or video content or virtual reality tours for your website or whatever the case may be, you're spending this money, you're investing in those things 
make it part of that sales enablement process. Get the most out of it. To get more and more reuse out of it. And on that same note, when you're generating content, the more evergreen you can make it, the larger the library becomes available for a salesperson to actually use. And this is the other interesting stat I wanted to share. Um, Again, HubSpot does a lot of research into this stuff. They say that only 9% of marketing content gets used more than five times. Why? Yeah, I want to know why it couldn't be used way more than that. I, in theory, you can use a piece of content that you've written forever, hundreds of times, right? Oh yeah, you can you can use it in proposals, you can use it in meetings. Yeah, you should be able to take that content, have it written once, mm-hmm. and then it should do a lot of legwork. Yeah, we we I think we talked about this when we were talking a little bit about SEO, Mark. But there's a there's some content that we've written at One Fire that we invested in writing back in 2015, right? And that content today is still one of the top hitting blog posts on our website and our sales team shares that content out with prospective leads um, all the time. And so I know a a common thing that we hear um, from marketers and from business owners is that they, they see that content is valuable, but they don't necessarily recognize that it has value long beyond the initial creation of that piece of content. If it's done right, it, it'll hold right. value you know, for the rest of the years that you're in business. And this is content you own. And you own it, right. That's, yeah. That in itself is a pretty big difference between running a TV commercial, running a radio commercial, oh, yeah. and writing something that you're able to use again and again and again at your discretion. I agree. So last thing I kind of want to cover today, Mark, is how do you fit content like that into a sales process? Like what are the different points in a sales process where you can use content? Okay. Well, I would say uh, to start with, you could always send a piece of content with your first email. Providing so, value of some yeah, sort right out of the gate. Yeah, you can provide value up front. Mm-hmm. If it's an awareness stage piece or consideration stage piece, you can illustrate to somebody, hey, here's an article that was written. It explains the pain points or the, uh, you know, what's going through the head of the person that that business is trying to reach. And that yeah. right away it's gives huge. them some, yeah, some evidence that you have something real to offer and you're not another one of the thousands of other solicitation emails are getting that day. Another good way that you can use content is a little bit further into the sales process, not necessarily with a cold email or or cold call follow-up, but if you have a conversation and you start learning the pain points of of that lead or you start getting a better understanding of maybe, you know, what they could use some help with, being able to follow up to that with helpful resources for that person that directs, you know, it basically shows that your company is an authoritative voice on the top Topics that they're having challenges with, right. it's going to instantly put you ahead of of another email of somebody who's just saying, hey, thanks for the phone call. When can we do a demo? Right. It'd be way better to say, hey, thanks for the phone call. You know, you talked about this, this and this. Here's some blog posts that we wrote and here's an ebook all about how, you know, that applies to your your business. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd love to talk to you more and set up a time for a demo to show you a little bit more. What that does is you're providing value along that that process, and so you're not just being tuned out. I agree. And, and another another area in which I can see that being applied is if you are like a B two B business, mm-hmm. 
and you have a you have a service or a product that's pretty complicated. Yeah, I think most a lot people of would much rather read an article on their own time. Oh yeah, and get that information and start to understand those concepts than have a salesperson talk to them or talk <laughs> at them rather. Yeah. for forty five minutes. Straight. Oh, have things changed? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> these are different times, Mark. Much different. All different right, that times. that's I'm. Think about the value in leaving behind a piece of content that explains all the technical details, and then you, the salesperson, get to follow up and yeah. just finish it off. Yeah. And then from a from a reuse standpoint, too, the last point I'll make here, from a reuse standpoint, um, if you write a blog post, okay, you take that blog post, you turn that blog post into some type of a downloadable PDF brochure. You take that blog post and turn it into, you know, chop it into 10 different social media messages. You take that blog post and you roll it out as part of your company newsletter. Right. It goes out to your prospects. You take that blog post and you put it into a library for your sales team to be able to grab um, bits and pieces of and make their own kind of information for a customer or just link directly to. Like there are so many reuse opportunities and it costs next to nothing for you to write a blog post. Hire a journalism student from, you know, from your local college or work with somebody internally to get it done or partner with a company who can do it at volume and at scale for you. Um, but it is it is very easy to produce that content and then have it work across that entire life cycle of, of that sales enablement process. Yeah, absolutely. So 10-second takeaway. We've taken plenty of your time today. What's what's the 10-second takeaway that, that people can leave with today? Uh, empower your sales team with technology and tools like a CRM, like content that they need to close more deals. I think the other thing is make sure you've got the right sales team in place. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us on Grow Up. We are all about using technology to help your business grow better. I'm Jason Parkinson. This is Mark Hemmer. And uh, we're with you every week. Next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about how you can implement technology into your customer service process to really delight customers. And this is a, a topic we've been working on at One Fire for a long time. Really excited to share that information with you. So we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Grow Up. For more information, about the topics discussed in today's show, visit onefire.com slash grow up. This has been a One Fire production.